Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the God of Abraham, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for recording for us the life of Abraham, that you can teach us to be the children of Abraham today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 22, and uh, starting to give us again the background here, we'll start in verse 1 and read to verse 6. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. All right, now, in our last study, what we did is we ended with this verse 3, with Abraham, as it says there, he rose up early in the morning, he saddled, we went to that list of what he did. He saddled his ass, he took two of his young men with him, Isaac, his son, he cut up the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose up, and it says he went unto the place of which God had told him. So since we came to this last words in verse 3, where we read, he went unto the place of which God had told him, we've been walking, we've been thinking about and walking with Abraham on those three days on the most important journey of his life. That's what it was for Abraham, was the most important journey of his life. And that description where it says that he went unto the place which God had told him, it uses that particular Hebrew word. We've seen it before. It's used a lot in Scripture, but it's the word halak. And halak, that means the word, it's a very important word in Abraham's life with God because that was, in fact, the very first word that Abraham heard when God spoke to him first. And turn back to that. It's not so far. It's not such a hardship. Turn back to Genesis 12, please. In Genesis 12, verse 1, because that was the first word that Abraham heard from God, this word. And it says there in Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee, it's the word get, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. So the Lord had said unto Abram, lech lecha, in other words, it's from Halak, lech lecha, it says to him, 
You go, 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 you. You know, get thee out. It's a says there. Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house into land that I'll show you. So the first call of God to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 is with this word, halach. And so the word halach is the first word that Abraham hears from God when God calls him. And it's a word for Abraham to halach, to lech to leave, to leave your country, he says to Abraham. Leave your country for God, he says to Abraham. Leave your people for God. Halach, leave your people for God. Leave your family for God. It was all a very personal holic experience for Abraham. And any person who comes to God will come to those places, those points in his life where God will call him, call him to leave. And sometimes people, he has to leave people for God. He has to leave places or things for God, as Abraham did. It's a very important lesson that God teaches all believers that in order to call the Lord Jesus Christ Lord, my personal Lord, they must be like Abraham, willing to halak, willing to leave all for the Lord Jesus. So when it says at the end of verse 3 that he went, he halak, to a place where God had told him, we can see Abraham as he went to verse 3, saying to himself, when I first met God, when I first heard the word of God, he called me with the same word. He used this word, and he wanted me to be separated from all for him. And I did. I halaked. I became separated from my country for God. And I halaked, or I became separated from my people for God. And that's certainly true of Jewish Christians as well. They have to do that. And I halaked, or I became separated from my family for God. And once again now, I'm being halakt, I'm being called to separate from my son for God when I go to this place where God had told me of. So God's first call is this word, and he says, that's the kind of person I am, Abraham says to himself. I'm a person who becomes separated for God from what he wants me to do. And that's why this word halak or leave your country, is so important in the life of Abraham. And in as much as Abraham is the father of believers, that means that we as his followers, we have to be prepared, like Abraham, to be, to be separated. You know, he calls us to be separated from the world. And there are times when God calls us as believers to a personal holic experience or be separated from who or what we love. And that creates a personal void. That creates a personal emptiness in the believer. And that personal holic or separation experience creates a personal void. It creates a personal emptiness. And God emphasized to Abraham that he knew just how personal it was. And that's why this void, this emptiness, he knew. So when God first calls Abraham, in this verse we're looking at in Genesis 12, 1, you look now at Genesis 12, 1, and I'm going to ask you, exactly how many times does the pronoun for you or your or thee or thy appear in Genesis 12, 1? How many times? You have to count them. You know, one, two, how many times? <laughs> how many times? Six times? Seven times? I counted five. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> okay, maybe there's six or seven. What do I know? Anyways, whether there's five, six, or seven, there is an emphasis. So now I don't want you to spend all your time trying to figure out whether it's five, six, or seven. <laughs> Many times, there's an emphasis in 12.1, in Genesis 12.1, on how personal this was for Abraham, with this personal void, this personal emptiness, 
when God calls them to be separated from your country, from your people, from your family. And so God's call to Abraham was for Abraham to have this personal holic experience, this personal separation from his country, his kindred, and his family unto a land that I will show you. So in Genesis 12:1, it's as if God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I know how important your country is to you. I know how much a void and a personal separation that's going to be for you. But I, as your God, am going to fill your void for you. And Abraham, I know how important your people are to you and how much of a void being separated from your people is going to make for you, but I, as your God, will fill that void for you. And Abraham, I know how important your family is to you and how much you're going to feel this personal void and separation to be separated from your family, but I'll make that up for you because I, as your God, I'm going to fill that void for you. So God is saying to Abraham in his verse here, he said, I know how your personal halak experience, your personal separation experience is going to leave you with so much of a personal void and an emptiness, but I'll fill it for you. That's what God's saying here. So now in Genesis 22, when God is calling Abraham again to be separated from his son Isaac, it's again like Abraham is hearing from God. Abraham, I know how important your son is your only son, Isaac, who you love, is to you. And I know how much of that void, that separation from your son is going to make for you, but I, as your God, I'm going to fill that void for you. That's what he's saying. In Genesis 22, he's saying it to them. He says, I know this is really personal for you. And so sometimes God calls us to a personal halach experience, even a personal experience where we have this separation. We have to leave a place that we love. We have to leave things that we love. Death comes, we have to leave a person that we love. And so God says, I know how that is for you. And I'm not going to leave you with that personal void and emptiness. I'll fill it for you. I'm your God, and I'll fill it for you. So in Genesis 22, 3, when Abraham went or halak unto the place where God had told him, and this personal experience for him of being separated from Isaac is just a continuation. And Abraham's thinking in his mind, that's the way it all started with God, with me. In Genesis 12, 1, it says, he's prepared me for this. And so we've seen how this first time when God used this word to Abraham, it was in the context that he should leave or be separated for God. And there's another important time when this word was used for Abraham, and that's in, if you want to turn to that, just a few chapters over, Genesis 17, 1, where God again spoke to Abraham, and he said when Abraham was 90 years old and 9, 99 years old, and it says the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk, halach, before me, walk before me and be thou perfect. So that was the time when God identified himself as El Shaddai to Abraham, as um, Almighty God. And he calls Abraham to go ahead and walk in front of me, Abraham. Walk, Halak. Be complete in your life before me. Now, notice how in verses 3 and 4, so now we're back in Genesis 22. So in Genesis 22, notice in verses 3 and 4, that there's kind of like an emphasis talks about the place. You know, verse 3, the place that God had told him of. And in verse 4, it says, he saw the place afar off. It's a very, very special place 
for Abraham. This was a very significant place for Abraham. It's kind of like a sacred place for Abraham. It's a place where Abraham's going to follow through with God's command to sacrifice his son. And that's the place that Abraham is going to. And as he continues to go toward this place and move for those three days in the direction of this place, and he sees the place and he continues to go, it's a sign of his obedience to God. And so then it says in verse 4, that then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. This verse is so graphic. I mean, we can just see Abraham, he's walking the first day in silence with his head down. And then we can see he's walking the second day in silence with his head down. It's very interesting that in verse 4, it says Abraham now lifts up his eyes. So we can see him doing this, lifting up his eyes, and he sees this place, and it's so far away, but he sees it. And from those words, we can picture Abraham, we just see him there on that third day, lifting up his eyes, seeing it. And so it took three days for Abraham to reach Mount Moriah. And all during those three days, Abraham is in a state of continual resolve. He was resolved every one of those days. He's resolved. He's not going to turn away from going to Mount Moriah. And finally, on the third day, when he lifts up his eyes and he sees the place afar off, we don't read that Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place and far off, and then he lost his resolve. And then he turned back, and he says, I just can't go through with it. I can't sacrifice my son. We don't read that. See, it's very significant in verse 4 that at the end of those three days, after he's had all that time to think about it all, and the time comes near for Abraham to actually go through the sacrifice of his son, and he sees the place, and he doesn't turn back. And that reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of three days, it's three years. And he's three years, and he's in his public ministry, the Lord Jesus is. And he finally comes, and he reaches the night before he's going to be sacrificed on another mount that he saw far off, Mount Calvary. And so during those three years, the Lord Jesus Christ is like Abraham. For three years of his journey, he's in this state of resolve. He knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Abraham knew what was going to happen on Mount Moriah, and he doesn't turn back. He keeps on going to Mount Calvary. And as the time got closer and closer for the Lord Jesus to be our sacrifice, he starts out on that journey to Jerusalem. He knew it was his last trip to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And it says his face changes. His face changes, and it reflects this resolve that's noted. The face changes noted. His face changes noted in Luke 9, 52 through 53, where it says they sent messengers before his face, They went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. There was something about his face that had changed, and they could see he's just dead set on going to Jerusalem, so they didn't receive him. And they could see this resolve on his face. As he started on this last trip to Jerusalem, they could see on his face because he set his face. He changed his face to look like a stone. His face looked like a flint, like a stone of flint. And when he started on this last trip to Jerusalem, he could see in his mind his back being lacerated by the whip with the claws in it. And he could see his hairs on his face, on his cheeks, 
being pulled out of his cheeks, and he could see his face being spit on and being put to shame. And with all of this plainly in his sight, he goes forward on this last trip to Jerusalem, and he sets his face like a rock. And that's what's described in Isaiah 50, verses 6 through 8, when he says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, the Lord will help me, therefore I should not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me, who will contend with me. Let's stand together. Who is my adversary? Bring him on. In other words, he's saying, let him come near to me. So as he turns to make this last trip to Jerusalem and saw what was going to happen to him there, he saw that in Jerusalem, what all is going to happen, maybe he reaches his hand back on his back. And he thinks to himself, this is going to be the last time I feel this back hole, because in Jerusalem, this back is going to be lacerated. Maybe, maybe he strokes his beard, you know, maybe he strokes his beard, and he feels it for the last time, and he says to himself, I know that these hairs are going to be pulled out in Jerusalem. Maybe he feels his face, and he says to himself, I know I'm going to be spit on. I know shame is going to be poured on me. And knowing all this, He turns to his disciples and he uses one word to explain why, why he's taking this last trip to Jerusalem. And it's the word must. And that's what he used in Mark 8.31 when it says, and he began to teach them and that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, or if you like, and must be rejected of the elders and of the the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, or if you like, and must be killed, and after three days, rise again. Or if you like, and after three days, must rise again. This must, this must part of it all. He saw it was a must for him to suffer for man, for the sins of man. It was a must for him to be rejected because of the sins of man. It was a must for him to be killed for the sins of man. It was a must for him to rise again for man. So when it was the time for the Lord Jesus Christ to face his adversary, the devil, and also, you know, if you ever think of the, the cross, it was like a big boxing ring. It was a big box. It was a contest that went on in there in Mount Calvary. And so the Lord Jesus Christ sets his face like a flint. And after that boxing ring battle at the cross, God the Father holds up the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and says, the winner, here's the winner. So when it says this, Genesis 22, verse 4, then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, we can see in Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's on the road of sorrows, it's been named, the Via Dolorosa, the road of sorrows that leads up to Mount Calvary, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees Mount Calvary, and what we see in Abraham in this verse is a man who broke through all the obstacles all the difficulties that he had in front of him to offer his son, and he lifts up his eyes and he sees the place. And what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Calvary is a man, again, who breaks through all the obstacles, all the difficulties. He's going to lay his life down on the cross. And so when it says in verse 4, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place far off, we just feel in Abraham this battle that he has of this temptation to say, it's over the top, it's too much, game's over, I can't do this. And what we see and we remember when the Lord Jesus Christ came and and sort of lifted up his eyes, and this time he sees a cup. He sees a cup of our sins, and he battles against the temptation to say the same thing. I'm over. This is done. 
And it said, but it says the battle is portrayed for us, it's described for us in Matthew 26, 20, 38 through 39, where it says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. He said, What I see, I'm ready to die from just the sight of it. Tarry ye here, watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy will. It says in a little bit, verse 42 of Matthew 26, he went again, the second time, and prays the same thing, saying, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And it says, it describes for us in Luke twenty-two forty-four with that scene, it says, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground, down to the ground. Not little tiny drops, but big drops of blood comes off his forehead and falls to the ground. That's our Savior. That's him. When, like Abraham, he lifts up his eyes, he sees up the far up. The Lord Jesus Christ lifts up his eyes, he sees the cup. He doesn't turn away from the awfulness to have to drink the cup of our sins to save us from our sins. Now we come to verse 5. And we see that the time has come now for Abraham to go with Isaac up the hill. This is going to be the time of the father and the son. And Abraham now looks at the young men who, you know, they were there. They accompanied them on the trip. You know, they were the men. They carried everything. They did all the work. They set up the camp. They broke down the camp. They prepared the meals and so forth. And so he turns to these young men. These young men are very interesting because they're in the scene right now. And he turns to these young men and he thinks to himself, should these young men go up with us to Mount Calvary? He asks himself this question. Should they come? And Abraham says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. This was going to be a time for Abraham and Isaac and God alone. And they wouldn't understand. So we see Abraham now turning to these young men. These young men are very important in this scene. In verse 5, and he turns to them, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. They must not go with him and Isaac. It's imperative. They must not go. This was a time only for just Abraham and Isaac and God. And there is a sense in which it was going to be this very private time between Abraham and Isaac and God, and everyone else was excluded. Everyone else was excluded. That reminds us of the time when the Lord Jesus Christ was offered for our sins. Everyone saw the Lord Jesus Christ as he was being nailed to the cross. And then there came a time when all were shut out and there was really only left God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who was representing man. So just as in Genesis 22.5, when Abraham shut out the young men by telling them, you stay here, you abide here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder. There was a time on the cross when God says, you are being shut out. Everybody is being shut out. This was a time when man was shut out. And that was the time when all the men were excluded. And that was the time when only God the Father and only God the Son, as man representing man, when he became our sacrifice. That time is described for us in Matthew 27, verse 45 to 46. It says, now, from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was this darkness that came over the land. And in that darkness, it was like God was excluding everybody else. A very, very private time between just God the Father and God the Son who had become a man. Because after all, it was God's law that had been broken. It was God's law that needed to be satisfied. And long ago, God had said that he was looking for a man. He was looking for a man that could stand between sinful man and an angry God. And he stated this in Ezekiel 22.30 where he said, I sought or I looked for, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge that should stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.